0: You're listening to Frontlines, a podcast for the people that truly make mountain biking happen. Not the riders, racers, or product designers, but the builders, advocates, and the often forgotten board members of your local mountain bike trail association. Mountain biking will always rely on the existence of trails. And although private mountain bike parks are popping up all over the globe, the vast majority of trails exist in public spaces. And those trails are the result of hardworking trail associations and positive relationships with land managers. The cycling industry manufactures and sells a product that needs trails and subsequently the advocates Without advocacy, we lose our trails, and that will have repercussions on the bottom line of what is a multi-million dollar industry. So why does it seem that there's a disconnect? Why does the industry and mountain bike media sell an image that can often be harmful to grassroots advocacy? This episode, will learn about how we can help improve our relationship with the cycling industry. I'm your host, Brian Hillier and this is episode 24 of Frontlines. My first guest is Seb Kemp. He's the Canadian brand manager for Santa Cruz and Juliana Bicycles. Hi, Seb. Welcome to the show. Hey, How you doing, Brent? So, what's your advocacy background?
1: Oh, what is my background? There is... I don't have anything specific... I'm always on the fringes of kind of putting one foot in and doing and kind of, for better or worse, uh, getting involved, uh, whether that's trail building, volunteer basis or uh, professional basis, or with the brand that I currently work with, Santa Cruz Bicycles, getting involved there. Or I'm on Walker, uh, Whistler Off Road Cycling Association's trail subcommittee. Uh, so we specifically look at trail concerns within the uh, Whistler Valley. I've trail built professionally across the world for different groups, uh, private and for advocacy groups. And when I used to do kind of media stuff, uh, I always tried to kind of bring some element of that thought into some of the stuff I do. Mm -hmm.
0: And, uh, And how long have you been with Santa Cruz?
1: I've been with Santa Cruz nearly two years.
0: And why did you choose uh, to work for them? Was there anything that kind of drew you to them that, that you really liked over perhaps
1: uh, other employers that were out there? I wasn't specifically looking to get a job uh, in inverted commerce in the industry. Uh, but I, Santa Cruz has been a company that I've kind of had a lot of contact with over the years on different things. And so when a role came up, that involved like the possibility of doing some of the stuff we do now with advocacy, and I know exactly the kind of stuff that Santa Cruz bicycle do uh, for their local trail associations and some around the world, and they just don't talk about it, but once you know it, they're a really impressive company, and so they're one of the I say one of the few companies that, that but that marks down the rest, but they're one of the, the few companies I really really, really trust and believe in and for me that's really important um when it comes to who i work for Mm.
0: and and yeah and so what kind of sets them apart from from other companies as far as their advocacy work
1: i can't really speak to what other companies do or don't i mean the santa cruz story is pretty impressive because they don't actually talk a lot about it and that's to their and that's because they just don't want to to blow it up and make it sound like they do all this thing and kind of use it as a marketing uh, resource uh, reason joe graney the the ceo of santa cruz bicycles now he is very dedicated to doing a lot of things and it started with the uh, sierra Buttes trail stewardship which are the groups that run out of the downyville area downyville's sort of like the, the second home to everyone that lives in Santa Cruz. Uh, not just Santa Cruz Bikes, but all the other companies there. Everyone likes to go out there into the mountains and get away from it. A bit. There's no cell phone reception, and the trails are incredible. But There's a group up there that are actively working with land managers, building new trails, refreshing old ones, and they do some incredible stuff. And over the years, Santa Cruz has just spent so much time out there that they've really kind of become uh, very supportive of the Sierra Buttes Trail stewardship, including their sponsorship of the Downeyville Classic, which, you know, that race itself is run as a fundraiser for the Sierra Butte Trail Stewardship, and it raises, I'm not quite sure how much each year, but uh, each year we butt raffle off a bike. Um, and it's called a $5 per foot. And last year that bike made $40,000 in raffle money towards the Sierra Butte. So then when you put on the Downeyville Classic race on as well, plus the other races, they events they do, it is a, it's a good, there's a lot of good stuff happening out of that, and the the connection with the SBTS just came because everyone likes spending time up there, and they appreciate what this group are doing, and it just becomes a very natural thing. And then since there, there's been more initiatives that the, the Santa Cruz bicycles have kind of made sure that they've been involved with.
0: So you're located uh, in Whistler, but but obviously Santa Cruz is is coming out of uh, Santa Cruz, California. Uh, now, there's a lot of, of um, uh, challenges with the trails in the Santa Cruz area. There's a lot of uh, illegal trails in the area. There's a lot of trails. And, and what does Santa Cruz, within the Santa Cruz community, do to kind of help with that advocacy? There's a lot of stuff at their doorstep that uh, that is challenging as far as access goes.
1: Absolutely. I think this is one of the things that probably has uh, fired the, the company and all the individuals in the company to do more is because despite there being a huge amount of mountain bikers in Santa Cruz, California, um, and a lot of trails, uh, there, most of it is illegal and everybody is very aware of that. That's why people don't really talk in this. Everyone talks about Santa Cruz trails, but they don't really talk about specifics of it because most of it is, uh, illegal. And there's been some work, I think sitting on the, uh, right on the boundaries of some very contentious land issues has probably made people very aware in the company um, how to go th- about things. So there's the, the man bikers of Santa Cruz. Um, Santa Cruz bicycles are being involved with them for quite a while. So we have factory demos. We have huge demos in our in our head office. And people come in all day long, and they try out bikes, and they can go out all day on them. And we only do a nominal fee for that. It's only $20 per bike, um, and all that $20 goes to the mountain bikers of Santa Cruz. We then do things like uh, we raffle off another bike. And last year, and mountain bikers of Santa Cruz are very good at getting uh, people involved, and they raise $50,000. So we try and help out the local group there, and then we do trail dig days whenever we can. But one of the big things that's happened in Santa Cruz is with having no legal trails. It's very hard to invite people to come to Santa Cruz uh, when it's illegal. There's obviously an economic benefit to the community of Santa Cruz by having so many uh, bike, so much of the bike industry based out of that town. But the question has always been like, where are these items? So. Um, a lot of those companies locally put in to develop an area called San Vicente Redwoods, which is about 10 miles north at the coast uh, from Santa Cruz's office near a town near Davenport. Um, the property is currently closed as uh, the land manager the land trust of Santa Cruz uh, does all necessary work to merge the collection of land parcels into a park. Um, but then from there, we're hoping that there's going to be quite a lot of brand new tra- uh, legal trail in there. And one of the things that Santa Cruz Bicycles did is we donated five hundred thousand uh, dollars to, which was then matched to be matched by an anonymous donor making it a one million dollar gift uh, to try and get this trail network up and running. So now we can be really proud and say, like, truly say that Santa Cruz town is a mecca for mountain biking. Because at the moment, although some people say that, it's really hard to tell people you're a mecca when you're actually sitting on a lot of illegal trail. They have very different conditions than we do up in BC, and they're just trying to do some stuff to make sure that they can always be riding bikes. Because it's really important for every employee to be able to go and ride their bike on their doorstep.
0: I think a lot of people within the advocacy world um, struggle with, with the, the concept. And, and, and I spoke about it last episode on the podcast was we as advocates build trail and without those trails, uh, the product that is pushed and promoted by the bike industry uh, wouldn't really have a use. Um, And yet there's a lot of things that happen within the industry that, that aren't kind of advocacy uh, helpful or, or they're done without even kind of thinking about how this would affect advocacy. And, and you know, why, why the disconnect there? Like, what do you think the the mountain bike public and, and the industry, why do you think there's a disconnect between what actually goes into making
1: legal mountain bike trails? Ooh, that's a big question for probably someone <laughs> far smarter than me. Um, but, I mean, looking at it, I don't think there's only a disconnect from, say, what some of the industry are doing to what's happening with trail advocacy groups in the same way that there's a disconnect because uh, from what a lot of individual mountain bikers think. I don't think a lot of individual mountain bikers, uh, whether new or even very experienced and mature mountain bikers, really know what it takes, um, the amount of volunteer horsepower it takes for groups to go and do the work they do. And it's usually very silent work that's done in the background that isn't very sexy to talk about. Um, And so those stories aren't uh, being told. Um, I mean, it's one thing why I like this podcast so much is because someone's finally really revealing what, A lot of these groups are doing and explaining and inspiring how some of the processes that go about
0: yeah and and what's interesting is is some would argue that mountain bike media has done a a better job of of celebrating trail builders and and one example that comes to mind is is the builder movie that that came out a, a few years ago but what's the difference between celebrating trail building and celebrating advocacy
1: oh you know i did Scott Saker made that movie, made a beautiful movie, but I don't, I, I really thought that the premise of that movie really missed uh, the mark. Um, a lot of the, the building in that is about building free ride stunts in the, in the backwards um, and had no connection to what it really takes to build a sustainable or a legitimate trail. Um, out in the forest in this day and age. Um, And you talked a lot about this on one of your last episodes when you had uh, Steve Sheldon on. There's a lot of... uh, It's very sexy to go and build free ride stunts and cool trails out in the forest, but it never seems to be that cool to to show the, back, the background work that goes into doing a proper legitimate trail right now. Um, and that I think is where the disconnect comes from. You see a lot of people that think, well, it's just walking out into the woods and making some tool noises. And that's how it gets done. And that unfortunately misses the mark of the reality of what mountain bikers and mountain bike groups have to do in this day and age um, with land access issues, with satisfying land managers, trying to make a sustainable product that's going to fit the use of that area.
0: What can trail associations do to help educate uh, mountain bikers and 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 by extent uh, those working in the bike industry?
1: Well, do you know what? Um, I think one of the primary things that a trail advocacy group could do if they want to get more support from industry is to approach it in the way that The industry is not an enemy and the industry wants to help. They just don't know exactly know how. And so if advocacy groups can just, what we need to think about, sorry, it's not the industry necessarily. We're all just mountain bikers. And even this industry in in inverted commas, um, is just a collection of really, really passionate mountain bikers in the same way that trail associations are. Um, They've just found a way to do what they want to do working inside the industry in the same way that, mostly the people that volunteer and work on the boards of different advocacy groups, they found something that they can get involved in can make mountain biking better. So just to just to accept that we're all the same thing and we actually all do want the same thing. And so in the future, like it'd be great if, I, if some of my job is to go out to advocacy groups and just try and like offer them help, like put the hand out and say, what can we do to help? We don't know. You're the experts in the area. What is it that's going to benefit your area, your trail, your community, um, and the future of all that biking? Um, Because we don't know. The local trail advocacy groups are the experts, and that's how we always approach things. If we know what we can do to help, we're going to put that help in.
0: Yeah, I think that that touches on something that... um... That a lot of us who are fully immersed in the world of advocacy, you know, we we understand that that there's a lot to this, and that there's a lot that people don't know, but perhaps we don't quite understand the scope of of what people don't understand. And when you've been doing it for a number of years, you kind of forget what it was like to to start at zero and to not understand uh, where trails were so um, when you reach out to these organizations what are some of the initiatives or what what types of things um, do they ask for
1: help on well it really depends because we can just go to different groups like some of the things that we're going to be we're doing at the moment locally here in british columbia um, is we got involved with steed cycles to work with them to partner on the tap project um we're, uh, reworking trails we've done that for the last two years and that was those, like, finding that there is this really great initiative that the NSMB have formed, and they say this is what we need. This is the money you pay in. This is the amount of work that's expected from. This is what you can get from it. That's really easy for a company to tap into. But where it's a bit more difficult is where you say to to groups or or whatever, like what what can we do to help, and they're never quite sure. So that's where you can, like for example, with Walker right now, we're uh, we're about to embark on a months long trail building project where. Essentially, my bosses have said to me, for a month, you can just go and build trail for Walker. And this is a proper, uh, there's a trail that we've sought Section 57 for, and it's creating a climbing trail. It's going to link two disconnected trail networks at the moment. Um, And it's something that Walker wanted to have for a while. And my employees were good enough to say, yeah, just for a month to kind of answer your emails when you can in the evening. But. Uh, yeah, just go out on the tools and make tool noises and then uh, once a week go and do a trail day. So that was just we we sat down with Walker and was like, how can we help? It I don't think the the real benefit that companies can do is just passing on blank checks sometimes. Sure it's great, but um, in some cases, but the real strength is when companies can just come with other resources and firepower. Like we do the same with the trans Cascadia race, um, with the Oregon trail association up there. We, we send our factory racing team and some of our employees up throughout the year. And last year we did 330 hours of trail work on the trails to open up brand new trails. Um, as well as the sponsorship of the event. Like we actually just want to put more people up there. It's a very small community. There's not many people there that are able to to dig trails. So we send up some, some firepower to go and help uh, some dirt. And so there's always, I mean, I could just start listing off a whole bunch of different initiatives we're doing, but it's just, I think, always to approach groups and say, what can we do to help? Not just paying protection money to larger national um, groups, should we say. Um, I've heard other people say, you know, we should, every company should pay X amount of money into, uh, say, Inver. And while that sounds really good, really, is that the best use of, our, of everybody's resources? Sometimes maybe not, right? Who knows where all that money is going to go? If suddenly there's an influx of a lot of money to, to Inver, can we be sure that that's exactly the right way? Sometimes it's about working... Um, with smaller trail associations, like going out to camloops, like I did a few months ago and just saying, right, I will put the barbecue on and we'll get some tools and let's just go out and go and build this reroute that you've wanted to do for a while. Just, in, just, it's the small things that can really have an impact as well as just, just dollar value on things.
0: Yeah, and I think that touches on on a topic that uh, I've heard recently, which is uh, sponsorship burnout. And in the advocacy world, we, we hear a lot about volunteer burnout. Um, Board of directors, board member burnout, uh, but but one of those other types of burnouts that we see is is sponsor burnout. You know, when somebody writes that check on a on a yearly basis, it it is helpful and and money is certainly needed. And I think you know there's not a a club treasurer out there that's not going to say thank you for for a, a check, but but there does get to a point where that donor is going to kind of ask like. You know do i do when do we stop when when is it when are we done with this and, and what else can we get out of this relationship and and it, it sounds like when it's more than just money it it then creates this dialogue back and forth and then creates a relationship that's that's going to last a little bit longer than just a, you know a year or the the amount that that check was good for
1: yeah absolutely i mean if if we were just in the business of signing big checks to, to people Then the only person in the company that would really know what goes into say the into into the oregon trails like any person that would know would be the accountant that signed that check and posted it up to the group um and that probably wouldn't be an fact but we kind of hope that by sending some of our employees up there to go and help like they you know they're putting blood sweat and and toil into the ground. And then they have a respect and a knowledge of what goes into not just the Oregon trail network, but into all trail networks. And that's going to affect how that individual mountain biker, let's just say they're not just employees of Santa Cruz; they're mountain bikers. And that's going to maybe change their their attitudes and their decision-making as a mountain biker for the rest of their life.
0: Mm. Yeah. And, and help to, to create what I like to call that clicked on mountain biker right that that mountain biker that gets it that understand what what goes into every foot of trail
1: absolutely and and that's that's a real like you said earlier in the show that's that's something that really needs to happen and it's a hard thing to try and educate people without it sounding very dreary and the drudgery of of the work that um the tireless volunteers and board of directors all over this uh, the nation and the world have to do
0: Well, Seb, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me, I I really appreciate it.
1: Cool. Thanks for having me, Ben.
0: Seb mentioned the TAP initiative, which stands for the Trail Adoption Plan. It was started in 2011 by the North Shore Mountain Bike Association in North Vancouver, British Columbia. I'm happy Seb mentioned it because it's a great program that I've wanted to discuss on the show since the beginning. I think it's a great example of how a local organization can engage various businesses, some local, some not, and some within the bike industry and others beyond. My next guest is Cynthia Young. She's a board member and the trail adoption coordinator for the North Shore Mountain Bike Association. Hi, Cynthia. Welcome to the show. Hi, Brand. Thanks for having me. Before we dive into what the trail adoption plan is, let's just orientate our, ourselves with the, the state of Vancouver's North Shore Trails prior to this program. What was the condition of the trails? What was riding on the North Shore like uh, before the TAP program?
2: Uh, well, I would say that riding on the North Shore has always been a little bit rugged and quite technical just due to the nature of our geography and the, the terrain is quite steep. Very rooty, very rocky, and part of the onus of bringing in the trail adoption plans was to restore a trail network that was a little bit battered and um, hadn't been very well maintained up until that point and was seeing an increase in ridership. And needed the appropriate maintenance and care to uh, bring it up to the world-class trail network that we have now. Mm.
0: Yeah, so a lot of work uh, was required, and there was probably there was a lot of of, of work that that wasn't being done uh, leading up to this moment. So, uh, in comes the trail adoption plan, and and what uh, what is the tap program? What's involved with it?
2: The Tap program is pretty special in that it sort of comprises a few different pieces that all lead to some really positive outcomes for both the people who come out to volunteer uh, and the people who sponsor the trails and also for the builders who are permitted on these trails. There's a really huge community involvement piece where it does really engage the community in the care and the maintenance of these trails, which turns into an enhanced connection to the trails for the people of the community and for the different businesses that are involved. There's a huge amount of volunteerism that comes out of it. So um, that's a really big focus for the NSMBA is encouraging volunteerism. It also checks that box of corporate responsibility for a lot of companies who are looking to give back to the mountain bike community and want to be involved with the care of the trails and they want to give back to the trails. For businesses and organizations who sponsor our trails, that's a, really important for them to check that corporate responsibility box. And we also, be, we really appreciate their involvement, obviously, and the community appreciates their involvement. So we want to make sure that we're providing them with recognition. We give their logo a sign at the trailhead to uh, provide that recognition piece, as well as putting their logo on our website and talking about them at our community events, uh, giving them shout-outs on social media. And then it also provides uh, those companies with an opportunity for team building for their employees as well as the opportunities and the, sponsors, the possibility to interact with the community, which is really important for some of our sponsors. That's what they come on board for is to get out on the trails, talk to the people that are sort of front and center who make mountain biking their, their a big part of their lives. And the volunteers who come out to these trail days, they get to interact with the sponsors, which is kind of a special, unique situation for both parties involved.
0: Yeah, so this isn't just a a simple sponsorship program. This isn't um, like an advertising program. This this doesn't just get your logo on the sign. It's not just simply getting your logo on the website. Uh, There's more to it. Uh, than that. So, what commitments does a sponsor give to the NSMBA, the North Shore Mountain Bike Association, uh, when they come on board as a as a tap adopter?
2: That's a great question. So, any organization can adopt a trail, and it's a monetary commitment as well as volunteer trail day commitment. Um, there's two options: either a $3,000 annual contribution or a $5,000 annual contribution. The $3,000 option gets you all that recognition as well as you kind of own the, the, you take ownership of the trail for the year uh, in that you're helping the permitted trail builder with uh, anywhere from two to six trail days. And we've got different options for those depending on what our sponsors are interested in, either um, private trail days, open trail days, or public trail days where they can invite the community. Uh, and then for the $5,000 contribution, so the association essentially takes that piece of the the trail work on for you. So um we do, you know, every sponsor has a different reason for getting involved and they all have different resources and different capacity as far as, you know, how many people they can bring out or how much money they want to contribute. So, if, uh, if a sponsor has a lot of people that want to be involved, the $3,000 option is great and they can bring their employees out or their friends or associates schedule between two and six trail days. Or if, you know, they're just, they don't have the people or they don't have the capacity to organize groups of people that come volunteer at trail days, um, they just stick with the $5,000 option and we make sure that we take really great care of the trail for them. We'll often, get our Race Day Shore Corps involved, which is our, our trained group of volunteers. They'll come out and do a day on the trail and essentially be that fill-in volunteer group for the sponsor.
0: Something that we've heard from Seb, just a, a previous guest on the show, is, is that as a, as a sponsor or, or as a, uh, an industry... Uh, representative or business, they want kind of pre-packaged ways that they can help. Uh, they're they're not necessarily in the business of advocacy. And so it's hard for them to come up with programs uh, to help local trail associations. So having something that, you know, here's the package, here's here's what you have, is nice and, and easy for them to take on to. But But at the same time, it sounds like the ability to customize and and modify, you know, one size doesn't necessarily fit all in this program. And, And so you've catered to a couple of different styles of companies that are out there.
2: Yeah, definitely. We have a lot of diversity in our sponsor base, and it is a really simple way for an organization or a company to get involved. It is sort of turnkey, I guess you could say. And it is a structured package that is pretty simple. And it's a really tangible way for organizations to give back, to contribute to the trails and also to get involved and have that volunteerism piece that a lot of companies are really pushing with their employees these days. But we're always very flexible. Um, We're willing to structure things for our sponsors in whatever way Um, makes sense for them right like at the end of the day we want them to get as much out of it as we get out of it um we want it to be a partnership and we want it to uh, be meaningful for them and for their brand and to meet their objectives for whatever kind of community stewardship that they want to do
0: well cynthia thanks so much for taking the time to to be on the show i really appreciate
2: it thank you very much bren my pleasure
0: I have some direct experience with the North Shore TAP program. I'm actually employed part-time as a builder with the local organization. The ability to get compensated for not only the time I spend leading groups of volunteers, but also the time that I spend doing the less enjoyable tasks like paperwork, the more committed I can be. At the end of the year, it's never a question for me if I want to continue to be a part of the program. Burnout just doesn't happen sure when I'm building it's still time away from my family or from my day job, but I can justify it by seeing some compensation. And it always keeps me wanting to do more. And just because I'm paid for tap days doesn't mean that I don't volunteer my time on the trails. There are many other days throughout the year that I go out and volunteer my time either clearing drains or touching up sections of dirt or rock work. Being paid to lead groups just allows me to do more. And that's really what it comes down to. More can always be done. And whether it's a qualified builder or local business, the programs that a local trail association creates should enable everyone to be able to do more. I think one of the biggest takeaways from this episode is that many in the industry want to help. They just don't know how. And well, as advocates, we're the experts. We need to create the programs that allow people to help. And when we make it about more than just money, we get a chance to have a conversation, and more riders learn just what's involved. And then we start to see a shift. And those riders who don't generally give back start to understand the value. And we get one more advocate in our corner, one more clicked on rider. Now, one topic that wasn't mentioned in this two part series that I believe highlights a disconnect, not only with media or industry, but as we learned with all mountain bikers, is the effect that e-bikes could have on advocacy and future trail access. Consider this a call out. If you've got experience or an opinion on the topic, then I want to hear from you. And if you have anything to say about any episode or ideas for future episodes, then please reach out. Like always, you can find me Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at FrontlinesMTB. And you can send me an email or audio file at frontlinesmtb at gmail.com. I'd also like to let everyone know at the Greater Houston Off-Road Biking Association and those affected by Hurricane Harvey know we're thinking of you. It's times like this that we're reminded of what's truly important in this world. Next episode, we'll be starting another multi-part series. I've mentioned it before, and I'm excited to share what I've learned about what is best defined as bikes in wilderness. We'll be hearing from Avon Krauss of the Evergreen Mountain Bike Alliance, Eric Nelson of IMBA, and Ted Stroll of the Sustainable Trails Coalition. And next week is the Mountain Bike Tourism Symposium in Revelstoke, BC. So if you're attending, I'll see you there. I'll be hosting a panel discussion about trail advocacy and providing an in-depth talk about the Trailforks trail reporting system. Don't forget to support the show via PayPal. You can find a link in the show notes, as well as links to Santa Cruz Bicycles, the North Shore Tap Program, and the Mountain Bike Tourism Symposium. As always, music is by Lee Rosevere and production notes by Jennifer Pride. And finally, I'm Brent Hillier. This is Frontlines. Thanks for listening and happy trails.